hands off to John oh. Taylor. Hughes hole. He's at the 30. He's gonna go. 10, 5, touchdown. Jonathan Taylor made a man miss the line of scrimmage and then runs it into Pater. The one-handed INT. Are you kidding me? Kenny Moore. What a play by Naheem Hines. What's going on, Colts Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Bring the Juice Colts podcast. Today, we welcome on special guest, friend of the show, Miss Lara Overton, producer and reporter for the Indianapolis Colts. Lara, how are you doing? Doing great. I appreciate you guys having me on, especially when this is such an exciting, busy time and there's so many great conversations to be had in regards to, of course, the offseason moves for the Colts and then even more pressing in terms of when we're having this conversation is looking ahead to the NFL draft, which is now just a few days away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't believe it. So <laughs> how has the offseason been for you so far? Obviously, last year with COVID and all that stuff, a lot of things were restricted. It seems like things now, at least to a little bit of a degree, are now becoming a little bit more open and stuff like that. So how has this offseason been for you? I know, talking off air, you just got back from vacation uh, <laughs> down in Florida. Uh, you know, How's it been for you? In one word, refreshing, because we have actually had the opportunity to, since the season ended, be back in our offices. We don't have 100% of our department in, but those of us from a production standpoint and content standpoint that do need to be on site, we do have the ability to be. So, for example... When Carson Wentz came in to the building, I was able to do interviews with them. We were able to shoot content with them, all of those things. When T.Y. re-signed to come back for another season with the Colts, we were able to do a conversation with him. Whereas last year, when Carson Wentz committed to coming to Indianapolis, that was a, a Zoom or a FaceTime interview. And that was all I got to see of Carson Wentz, uh, aside from those game day opportunities when I was up in the old moat or the operational zone as it is officially called and you know I'm up there in that first row of seats and he would be down on the field everything last year was all virtual so the one thing one of the advantages already that we've seen is being able to mitigate the risk of you know still operating within the confines of certain <clears throat> restrictions and limitations and being respectful of social distancing and those things but resuming some amount of in-person interactive opportunities to produce content mostly in regards to, you know, of course, Carson coming in. And then also a lot of these new assistant coaches that have joined Frank Reich's staff, getting to meet those guys, getting to put faces with names and hear about their backgrounds and, and their mindsets and what they bring into the organization as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we had you on, uh, I think it was, I think it was May of last year and that was right when, uh, COVID was, you know, ramping up and the numbers were just getting higher and higher. And there was so much uncertainty that was going on. And, you know, there were a lot of people that were still questioning whether or not we'd even have a season at that time. And we asked you how COVID was affecting your off season and everything else. And then we get into the regular season and then we know we saw where you were doing interviews from in the stands and guys were on the field, you know, practicing social distancing, doing stuff through Zoom. Uh, we asked you how your offseason went, but with the season, how much more difficult was it with doing having to do social distancing, doing your work 
during the regular season with all these COVID procedures going on? Well, I have to say in terms of, you know, the sacrifices that so many people made in 2020, it's hard to complain about maybe the things that we had to adapt for, right? You saw, we saw parents doing e-learning and playing teacher, playing parent while still trying to do their jobs. You have so many people who have been on the front lines of this pandemic working, you know, long hours, um, you know, working tirelessly to do such important work. Um, so for us, I feel that, you know, the, the, changes that we had to make or the ways we had to adapt to our jobs were were really pretty I don't want to say insignificant but minimal when you talk about the grand scheme of things and and the spectrum of what everyone else was dealing with you know adding a few feet to do an interview isn't that much of a compromise when you think about all of the greater battles that were being fought over the past year and I have to give it huge credit to our PR staff too, for making things possible, for doing so many things to help us figure out the ways to be sure that we got Coach Reich, that we got Philip, that we got players, that we were able to get the immediate reaction of an incredible victory, like after the win over the Green Bay Packers at Lucas Oil Stadium, and they were able to bring me Michael Pittman Jr., you know, who had a fantastic game um, at that point. And um, we, we really had a lot of ways in which our department from content and production and our PR department. And of course, with cooperation of football, we found ways where, okay, we knew when I do our show each and every week, Colts 360, usually I would have coach in studio with me. Since we weren't able to do that, we did, of course, that interview via Zoom. But what they did in addition to that was allow me to talk to coach either the night before a road game, I would get him once they arrived at the team hotel before he met with the uh, network broadcast team or on a home game day, I would get him when he arrived at Lucas Oil Stadium before he spoke with the sideline reporter or after he spoke with the sideline reporter for that day's game. So we really actually, in some ways, gained even better content uh, on some regards because we actually added some access we'd never previously had thanks to the diligence of our PR staff and the cooperation of our football ops department. One thing that I've really never done, and you don't often do as a team reporter, you know, we're not breaking news very often. You're not, you know, you're not dropping woge bombs and you're not Adam Schefter <laughs> where you're breaking stories typically because it's, it's a different, uh, different avenue of the media, right. And what we're doing versus what those reporters are. But in you know a game late in the season and now I'm even trying to think that they're all merging together but we're, we're talking about the month of December and um, it was when Anthony Costanzo was injured and I was able to get Frank uh, that day to give provide an update um, that Jared Valdir was going to get the start despite the fact he's gotten into the building days before because of the COVID testing he had basically half of a practice really to get up to speed. But what was incredible about the insight that coach gave me, in addition to breaking to me that Jared Valdir was going to start a left tackle was he really leaned upon the experience that Jared had with Chris Strasser from the time that they'd had previously, I believe in Denver. Um, so that was some great insight that I was able to have for our radio broadcast because of the fact I was talking to coach Reich three to four hours before kickoff, in addition to when I'd had him 
over the course of the week. And this was a situation where we set up one camera on the field. He puts a headset on. I'm up in the north end zone of the stadium at our set there. So we were able to observe social distance, but get such great content and get one of the things I always aim to do with our within respect of our radio broadcasts is those who are listening to Colts games on the radio are typically going to be your most devout educated fans, right? They've consumed every bit of content that the team is putting out, that we're putting out of the course of the week. They're watching all the shows, following the tweets, everything that there is. So when we have the limitations of having our players on a Zoom call that all the media is involved in, to some degree, everyone's kind of getting the same stuff. So for me to have a different, fresh perspective or new information and that I can share, new perspective to share with those who are listening to our broadcasts, I had to find different ways to get that content outside of the Zoom calls and those different things to be sure that I wasn't just regurgitating information that you'd read everywhere else. And one of the ways we were really able to achieve that was by Coach Reich speaking with us on either the Saturdays of road games or um, on Sundays of home games about four, four hours before kickoff. We also were able to get Philip Rivers on the Saturday evenings before all of the road games. And you guys saw enough of Philip to know just like kind of the, the wealth of information that he is and just this kind of like fountain of great stuff that he can contribute. So getting more Philip content and getting a one-on-one -on -one with Philip. Saturday night before the game was so much fun. Like one of the, the angles that we went with this year, again, as we have this whole staff, our radio team is phenomenal. Matt Taylor, Casey Vallier, Jeffrey Gorman, Bill Brooks, everyone who contributes to that. But Casey had dug up a stat when they were playing in Las Vegas. And keep in mind for road games, this was one of the other oddities was we were calling as a radio team the games from Lucas Oil Stadium while the team was playing on the road because mm -hmm. we weren't allowed to travel and to get into the stadiums and do all of those things. So we did all of that remotely. And our whole team, the engineering front of Chris Buckley and Mike Stevens doing everything they did to make it possible is just incredible. But I was really trying to find what are some unique angles? How can I try to be a sideline reporter when I'm, what, 2,000 miles away when you're talking about Las Vegas to Indianapolis? However, you know, I'm three time zones away or something. And Casey had dug up that when they played at the New Allegiant Stadium there in Vegas, it was like the 35th different stadium that Philip had played in, in his NFL career. He'd obviously played the Raiders tons of times, but this is the inaugural season in Vegas. And I was able to ask him about that. And he got such a chuckle out of it. He goes, that is a wild stat. I did not know that. I can't believe you guys found that. So it's pretty hard to stump a guy like Philip Rivers, who pretty much knows anything and everything in all of the seasons that he played. But we got this awesome, candid, authentic response from Philip about, playing in a new stadium, which doesn't happen very often when you're talking about being 39 years old uh, in the NFL and having the career that he did. So it was really just a lot of navigating and being creative and a lot of collaboration between our department and PR and football ops. But I would say overall, certainly like the access was difficult. You know, it was weird. You know, Philip said this too, not being able to shake people's hands and introduce yourselves and just walk up to guys at their locker and, and pick their brains on things. And so that's something I'm really looking forward to hopefully getting back to some of that very 
candid, authentic interaction. But the biggest logistical difference and the biggest logistical, I guess, sacrifice would really have been for our radio crew, for me, and doing those games remotely, all of those road games remotely from Lucas Oil, as opposed to being in not, you know, being in Buffalo, being in Pittsburgh, being in Houston, Nashville, all of those different places. And so I'm really sad that I missed the inaugural game uh, in Vegas because that stadium looks incredible. So fingers <laughs> crossed that we get yeah. to get out there at some point. Yeah. And Larry, you mentioned a little bit earlier how you were able to have the opportunity to sit down with Carson Wentz on a one-on-one -on -one interview. I'm curious, what were some of your takeaways from just being with Carson for those you know, few minutes there? There's so many. One of the things is there is an authentic, genuine enthusiasm about Carson Wentz, and he's eager for this fresh start. There's something to be said where you have someone who is kind of thrust into the fire, right? Going into the starting role as he was drafted where he was going into Philly, having the success early that they did and, you know, helping lead them to a Super Bowl that Injury aside, obviously, but the pace that he was on playing at an NFL MVP level. So he has that wisdom and that experience, but he also at just 28 years old still has this youthful, almost rookie-like energy and excitement about the game. And that was something that we kind of saw with Philip. even is even all of the seasons that he had the 17 seasons under his belt, he was still out there playing, you know, like it's like it's peewee football in seventh grade type of you run around with your buddies. You can't wait to throw your pads and helmet on. So with Carson, you strike this incredible balance between having the wisdom and the experience that he does, but also having the enthusiasm and the energy and this excitement for kind of a new era and a new chapter in his career. And something to be said, too, for the fact that we really haven't seen him, I don't think, hit his ceiling yet with what he's capable of doing because of, you know, certainly the injuries and then just not being in maybe the situations to help him completely capitalize on his talents and on his abilities. And that really was such a driving force behind reuniting him with Frank Reich. We know that Coach Reich is somewhat of this quarterback whisperer. And you think about the way that we were, we were discussing this uh, in, in our Colts official podcast, this trajectory that he has of rejuvenating guys' careers. Um, think about Andrew Luck in 2018, coming off the injury that he did, you know, and, and resurrecting Andrew Luck to the level that he performed in that 2018 season. And then you have Philip coming off what would be considered certainly a down year, what he threw 19 interceptions in that last season or so with the Chargers. And I mean, he played at an impressive level, especially when you think of after that Cleveland game moving forward, if you take kind of that sliver of the season as maybe one chunk, that first, what would you call it? It was a little bit more than a quarter, first third of the season or so. And then from that point on, he was playing at an elite level and he credited Frank so much with that. So hearing Frank talk about just with any quarterback that you get, and even when it was Jacoby thrust into the starting role, kind of going back to the basics and taking a few steps back in everything and building up their confidence 
to command an offense and developing the confidence that they have in the line, in the run game, in the receiving weapons that he has. That is something that not only is Frank Reich really good at, I think Coach Reich as a teacher, that's at his core, Frank Reich as a teacher, I think he loves that. And Carson, in our interview, one of the things that I learned is his desire to be coached. He loves that. He wants to have, and he he talked about those conversations that he and Coach Reich would have at some point. Um, I don't want to say a, a tense conversation, but he was really open about that they had had difficult conversations about maybe things that they saw differently and what he learned in their time in Philadelphia by having those conversations. And I remember we heard uh, Chris Ballard say that you wanted, you know, some of that, and I'm trying to think of exactly now the, the term that he used, but like a healthy tension, I believe was what he talked about. You kind of need in a locker room and he doesn't mean that in a negative way, but you don't want a bunch of yes guys in your locker room. And that's one great thing that I learned from Carson and we learned from coach Reich was that in the time, even a limited time that they had together in Philadelphia, they had some things where they didn't see eye to eye on. They had some different disagreements and they tried it a couple of different ways to figure out what works. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so important in a head coach quarterback marriage to see that they're able to, to do those things. And he is um, really impressive. He's excited about this community. He's excited about being back in the Midwest, of course, growing up in, in North Dakota, Indy and Indianapolis or Indianapolis and central Indiana is a little more reminiscent of kind of the environment that he's most comfortable within. His wife is from Lexington. That's something that we learned in our conversation. So it's getting her back to her roots. And when he went to Philly, he, he said, I was a kid. I was single. I was fresh out of college. I was just going by myself and I was just all ball. And he grew up a lot. He became a man. He got married. He had a kid. Now he has a nearly one-year-old daughter and they're starting this chapter together. So I think that there's something to be said for this evolution of Carson Wentz and this readiness that he has to evolve into this veteran, mature franchise quarterback for the Colts. Yeah, certainly looking forward. I know all of Colts Nation is looking forward to seeing what Carson can do on the field. And speaking of, you know, being back in stadiums, uh, you mentioned earlier how, you know, it's nice to kind of refreshing to get back to some kind of normalcy. And it certainly sounds like the NFL is preparing to try to have it that way. Uh, sounds like the majority of the uh, sounds like the majority of stadiums are going to be filled uh, to near 100% capacity for the most part, at least that's what they're hoping to aim for, you know, as, as more people get vaccinated, more people are starting to become more safe. And, you know, so that means, you know, things are going to slightly start getting back to normal, but have the Colts kind of talked to you about, you know, getting back to normalcy in your role before COVID started, or is it just still business as usual from what you guys have been doing over the last year? Great question. It's been, for the most part, very, very limited in terms of who is in the building from our side. So you think about it, there's the business side of the building and there's the football ops side of the building. And I can only really speak from our side of the building, but 
our our desks have been completely rearranged. We shifted initially. We had this beautiful, and we do still have this beautiful setup of this whole open concept, very like free flowing uh, to really um, promote collaboration and all of those things. And so we all, we had a little bit shift away from that. With so many people went home, and then I was able to come back in the building for training camp. And when we did that, we all had to shift some of our workspaces so that they were accommodating for social distancing. Some people were moved into different office spaces and all of those things because we're at maybe 10% of our department that's in the building right now. It's really just a handful of people who need to be on site to conduct their jobs. So we're in different spaces in that regard. And while we had that period of time where we were able to do some in-person interviews, but respectful of you know social distancing and wearing masks and all of that when necessary, it seems like that as we're now into this off-season training period, that they're going back into a phase system. So while I was able to do in the free agency period, the interviews with Carson and the interviews with TY, now as we're preparing, maybe for some, we are preparing for some interviews with coaches, it seems that those will go back to, for a period of time, all virtual as the team meetings are being held virtually and all of those things. So the, it seems that they're again going kind of back into that protocol that we saw during the regular season for the time being. And then I don't know from there on, it's been very much a, we kind of go a few weeks at a time, you know, we see what the next month looks like and then the next month from there. So I would assume that what we'll do is they'll evaluate everything as they get through the draft, you know, from an NFL perspective um, and then look and see what's feasible for rookie minicamp, for vet minicamp, for all of those things. And they'll look at what those things are. It would appear to me, even if the players are back, our media access will likely continue to be virtual. The earliest I see anything returning for in-person is at best probably training camp from that respect. But we'll, I mean, we've proven that we can pivot and we can get everything done virtually as needed or or even if it needs to be opposite sides of the room or whatever it, it may be as we start to look ahead toward the regular season. But your point at that seeing full stadiums does seem to be um a goal and an effort that the NFL is going to make. I know our owner is always, he's always so optimistic and energetic. And I know Mr. Ursay really wants to see Lucas Oil back to full capacity again. So I share in that excitement and in that optimism to hopefully see that. So to me, if the trade-off is we need to keep access within the building restricted to mitigate risk and the trade-off is having a full stadium, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I can find ways to do my job by all means, get the, get fans back. Let our team see these 68,000 strong who want to be at Lucas oil stadium every Sunday and who want to see this dynamic offense, who want to see T Y back. They want to be there. I mean, there's just nothing like the feeling of having that place packed to capacity and it was eerie in some respects this year, having these massive wins like, you know, the Packers win and, and different things, you know, all of those different, you know, great moments that we had. 
but it being anticlimactic and, you know, just, you know, you would see the fans and where I stood was around a lot of the families, which was cool because it was really easy to pick out. I'm like, Hey, there's Jonathan Taylor's dad. I know exactly where he's sitting and you know where <laughs> this person is. So um, I would know, you know, where all the families were. So it was fun to be able to read their reactions and all of that, but you did miss that palpable energy and just having a, a full stadium. So um, I don't want to give up too much access, but if I, if there does have to be a, a trade-off, I think that we, we all are going to do whatever we have to do to make sure that everyone is safe, that our players and our coaching staff are safe, that our staff is safe and also that the public's safe and, and getting people back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Larry, you had the opportunity uh, to sit down with T.Y. Hilton and then obviously the whole bring T.Y. home movement on Twitter happened and, and T.Y. had said, you know, that was something that really touched him. Uh, first off, what was your thoughts on that, on the whole T.Y. bring T.Y. home movement? And then what were some takeaways you got from T.Y. wanting to return and returning to Indianapolis? I couldn't believe how, and I don't, I, I shouldn't say that because it's like, why should I ever be astounded at what this fan base is capable of doing? I really shouldn't be because it's like, of course, they were going to rally behind this and find a way to make this happen and be so vocal. But when we saw the hashtag, I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, you know, bring T.Y. home. I saw it and I was like, oh, that's neat. And then it was trending. And then, <laughs> you know, people are responding and T.Y. is getting involved. And Kenny Moore is out there. We talked about breaking news. Kenny Moore was breaking news in all of this. I think for me, it was so reassuring to see that for the disappointment that there was in the lost in Buffalo, the disappointment that there was for fans not being able to be in the stadium to see what was such a fantastic season for this team overall. None of that was diminished or squashed whatsoever. And the moment that they had to show how important this team and that TY is to them was to me so validating at what this organization means and the impact that one player can make. And I do think that it, it goes to show that Colts fans have such an attachment to guys like Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison, who played their entire careers here. Rightfully so. Those are two of the most respected, beloved guys that have played and worn the horseshoe on the helmet. There is a desire and they see so much of T.Y. carrying that torch from Marvin to Reggie, from Reggie to T.Y. They so passionately want that to continue. I mean, how devastating would it have been to have seen T.Y. Hilton close out his career in Baltimore? Can we, we come no. fathom that? No, please you know, don't remind and, me. <laughs> and I just wanted... I wanted TY's, you know, as a fan, and I have, I've really covered the entirety of TY's career. I've been in Indianapolis. I haven't necessarily been covering sports and covering the team directly this entire time, but I've been here as part of the fan base and then as part of the media to see the entirety of his career. To me, the thought of TY's last game as a Colt, not hearing that place erupt doing the T.Y. Hilton when he runs out of the tunnel because we were limited to what 7,500 fans like to me, he, he deserved that. And this fan base deserved to see 
one, fin you know, that last finale, this one final run from T.Y. Hilton, it just, it would have been so strange to have had him depart on such a lackluster note to have no grandiose send off. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate the nostalgia that, that fans have for wanting to see his career played here and to also see what is so much promise. And this was something that we learned in the interview so much promise with this offense between Carson and T Y. I mean, there's something to be said for the fact that when the deal was done, the deal was made to bring Carson to Indy. One of the first texts that coach Reich sent was to T Y saying he has a lot of Andrew like traits. You remember how special that was, that whole thing that you and Andrew used to do and, and really, you know, kind of casting the bait there and trying to reel T.Y. in. And then Carson mm -hmm. got involved in trying to pull him in. This fan base saw last year, although T.Y. got out to the quote-unquote slow start, slow by T.Y. standards and slow mm -hmm. maybe by expectation, what you saw, the way, how strong he finished, he was continuing to accelerate. At the time, most guys are, are trailing off. T.Y. was still continuing to elevate his game late mm -hmm. in the season, you know, that last quarter of this season. So that, in one of the things that I asked him, he felt that he had unfinished business here. And he did feel like he had a lot of gas in the tank. And I think that... There is so much promise and so much optimism for seeing what the potential is of this offense. And not only with Carson and T.Y., but my God, Michael Pittman Jr. And, you know, Zach Pascal and Paris Campbell and Desmond Patman. And then you, Jack Doyle and Mo Ali Cox. And then, oh, wait, Carson has a run game to work with as well as you have this, again, two-headed monster, Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack, you know, finally able to see that hopefully to fruition. And then Naheem Hines as compliment to that. So there, there is so much excitement and it really would have been I think you would have felt that there was a void maybe in t going into 2021 with as much potential as there is, but TY not being part of kind of bridging this gap from hopefully, you know, that franchise quarterback that you had in Andrew to finally finding what the Colts front office hopes to be that franchise quarterback in Carson Wentz. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, we kind of go into the start of free agency. And, you know, for for wise of people saying, oh, you know, it's good to have football content back again. It's great. Um, if you've been a Colts fan, uh, it's certainly not been as, quote, unquote, exciting as a lot of people wished it could be. You know, I mean, the Colts have continued to stick with their game plan of, you know, not spending big money in free agency. I mean, we kind of know why they do have some big contracts coming up for some guys. And, you know, Ballard's never been a really big spender when it comes to free agency nonetheless. But, I mean, the one thing they have continuously done this offseason has continued to bring back their core, bring back the guys that Ballard has continuously brought in you know, guys like Marlon Mack, and then we bring T.Y. back and Rhodes and all these other guys. Um, how did it feel? T.Y. Carey just recently yeah. was another. He's a big piece. I just he's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, how did it how did it feel talking to guys like Mack and guys like that who are just excited to be back and run it back with the Colts this year? 
it was it was reassuring to see that the foundation for this team has been laid and there's really something special being built that is drawing guys to want to come back. That's what you think about in free agency is those guys have the option of going other places, right? And they're being courted by other teams and they make the decision to come back to the Colts, to go to a different team, to retire. They have, they have options. So when they make the decision and it's it, certainly money is part of it, but you have to believe that at that point in their career, especially for a guy like Xavier Rhodes, who's at the point of being, being proven and all of those things. And T Y Hilton, there's a degree of investment, um, a degree of loyalty and a degree of of promise that they see in what is already here. You you hear Frank Reich talk about there was something special in that team this year. There was something really special in that locker room. And if guys didn't feel that, they wouldn't elect to come back. And you know that guys like T.Y. and T.J. and Xavier, veteran guys, what do they want? What more do they have to prove in their careers? Not a whole lot besides wanting to win a title. That's what their ma major driving force is at this point in their careers. So to me, it's they looked at this team and said, whatever they're going to do, I want to be a part of, and I believe in what they're doing. And that is a credit to Chris and Ed Dodds and that entire staff building it the right way. And mm -hmm. also Frank developing guys and having the coaches on his staff that he's, he's been able to promote, for example, like with Marcus Brady being elevated to offensive coordinator, he's spent immense time with, you know, those guys in that, in that locker room. So the familiarity that he has with them. So the, the talent that this coaching staff can develop and the talent that this front office has brought in via the draft and free agency to me is incredibly encouraging and promising because it's an organization that guys want to come to. And one of the conversations I had recently was with Isaac Rochelle and, you know, one of the off season additions via free agency. And he's so fun. I don't know if you guys have heard much from him. He's a fantastic conversation. And he, of course, played at Notre Dame with Quentin and had great familiarity with Quentin. So he had conversations with him before signing with the Colts. But someone else who he talked with was Matthias Farley. And when Matthias was here, he was one of those who was certainly a fan favorite, not only because of his play on the field, but because I don't know of a community event that Matthias Farley didn't show up for. I mean, he is, so, I mean, highest, you know, such high character guy. And Isaac said that he talked to Matthias and Matthias raved so much about the organization, about the caliber of guys in this locker room, about they, you know, they play fast, they play physical, you know, it's guys who are hungry. It's a, it's guys who are competitive, but guys who are also going to put it all on the line for one another, very unselfish locker room. Matthias Farley didn't have to say anything, right? Like that he's not even with the team anymore. So to me, that's indicative when a guy who has left your team is advocating for a close friend of his who he played in college with to be like, you, you need to go sign there. There's something good there. I think that speaks volumes.
Mm-hmm. Last question for you, Lara. Um, so we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that uh, the NFL draft is only a few days away. Uh, I guess I'm curious uh, from your, you know, you've been able to talk with, with Chris Ballard, with all the people within the organization. If you had to guess, where would you say the Colts should look to address here early in this draft? Wow, that's a great question. And I truly know nothing because I'm not a part of any of those draft <laughs> meetings or anything like that. Darn I can it. promise you. I know. I know. I would love to be. Trust me. Because, of course, we do our series with the next pick and you do get some phenomenal insight with that. But that's um, our producer and videographer, Matt Wilkening, who's who's kind of in there in that room and um, all of those things. But I'm I'm really curious right now. There's there's a lot of talent. Of course, a lot of people are looking to like offensive line, and there's a ton of depth at that position. There's a ton of talent and depth at wide receiver. Um, those are all, of course, areas of interest. We know edge rusher has gotten a lot of conversation. But one of the things I'm really curious more and more so is that with as well as this front office has done in those like second, third, fourth, fifth round picks. I'm really curious, and it seems like an enticing situation that maybe we see Chris Ballard trade out of the first round, you know, not unlike he did just a few years ago. Of course, you traded mm-hmm. last year the pick for DeForest Buckner, which is a brilliant move, right? Like looking at that move now, are you like, how, yeah. who would not have done that? Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious. We know that Chris really values the amount of picks, that quantity of picks. He did trade that third round pick in regards for Carson Wentz. So I just, I'm very curious if there's an effort made to accrue some more picks one way or another to address a multitude of needs given how strong they feel that their scouting department does, not just in looking at those guys who are first and second rounders, but the diligence they do in kind of finding later round guys who can, you know, really develop for you. You know, not unlike, I mean, not that he was a later round guy, but I just think about what they saw in Julian Blackman that so many other people passed up on and were mm-hmm. hesitant because of his injury and the Colts getting him where they did and the payoff that there was and that, or you think about a guy like Kari Willis, you know, where, where he was selected Tony's and guy. what he is. <laughs> what he, yeah. And where, how he is produced. So to me, I, I'm very curious. And, and that's to me, I almost wonder if that's the likelihood that we see in being able to address a number, you know, of, those areas of of deemed need you know that's one of the things Mm -hmm. we always hear chris talk about is you're going to draft based on the talent and the player you're not going to you know force yourself to plug a guy in if it's not the fit so i'm really curious to see again chris kind of pull off some of those draft night shenanigans uh (laughs) that of course drive us crazy because we're all set up ready to interview a first round pick uh yeah just just kidding we're always in support of what chris does but it is it is funny when you get you 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 know to expect the unexpected it's like here we go we're gonna get the curveball here um so i'm i'm eager to see if there's a move made to accrue some more picks because as it stands right now six picks in this draft there were nine last year, all told. Um, so when I look at that's a pretty big difference. So I'm just curious if if there's a move made to get that more up in that, you know, eight to nine pick range. Yeah, I mean, you're not you're not alone in that. I mean, we've Cody and I have said that 
asked that question so many times to Colts fans. The hundreds or thousands of Colts fans that we've interacted with have all kind of reached a general consensus that we just assume that Ballard's going to end up trading back because normally <laughs> that is just what he does. I mean, you know, he did he did that. Um, he has an occasional tendency to either trade one or to even move up to when he sees a player that he wants to grab. But Jonathan yeah. Taylor, a great example yeah, last Taylor. year. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. you're right. Six picks and, uh, you know, Ballard loves his picks. Uh, that's the phrase that I know the Colts media loves to grab onto because that's right. Cause Ballard absolutely loves his draft picks and I'm not going to be surprised if he trades back five picks, 10 picks, maybe even 15 to 20 to say, Hey, I'm going to acquire even more of these. So, you know, like you said, with the scouting department having so much confidence in what they're able to do, I mean, they feel confident they can get a bunch of good guys. They're yeah. so brilliant. Those guys are, are so beyond brilliant. And I know that you guys consume everything, but these last two episodes of With the Next Pick have been incredible. Episode three that's going to be released the night before the draft. You guys are going to love. There's a ton of great draft room banter. And, you know, what we heard in episode two from Chris, and this is something we've heard him reiterate, but he really wants to draft and develop their own talent. So when you think about the priority that there is, what's the smart, you know, the smartest way to do that is to draft, you know, as many as you can that you feel confident in, develop them and capitalize on being able to get them on their rookie contracts and keep them as long as you can, being mm -hmm. mindful of the salary cap and the contracts that you have coming up. Like you guys were talking about, as we're talking about draft picks, how can we not talk about that you have looming, you know, guys like Darius Leonard and, and Quentin Nelson and Naheem Hines here, you know, kind of on the horizon who are going to have deals to their to be negotiated here in those coming months. I mean, that 2018 draft was monster because oh, yeah. of the moves, the brilliant moves that Chris Ballard was able to make. So to me, the priority from his perspective is on, is on drafting, developing your own talent. And so, you know, it, it is intriguing to see given the confidence that you have in the job that your scouting department does, even amid the crazy circumstances that they dealt with, it's unbelievable what these guys are able to dig in on on these prospects and not only the prospects themselves, but how they do or don't fit within this locker room. Mm -hmm. I guess the only question to ask is, will the Colts actually have a day one pick when you are <laughs> on the staff with them? I don't know, man, with with how much Chris Ballard loves to trade back. May never happen. I don't know. We'll <laughs> yeah. hey, we're I'm always waiting. entertained. We are always entertained. It's never dull, yes. guys. It is yeah. never dull back there. I'll be ready if we get one because even if we don't get a pick, we'll probably have Chris coming out to talk about why he did what he did or didn't do. So there will be something to do There'll on draft something. night, on draft night, on, on night one at least, no matter what. Gotcha. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you, Lara, for coming on and giving us a little bit of insight into a bunch of different topics for the Colts. Um, assume you'll be in the facility. Uh, like we talked, we talked with Matt Taylor, I think last week about that. Assume you'll be in there with him uh, on draft night. Yes, I will be. I'll be back locked in the studio watching everything unfold. I'll pack a healthy amount of snacks because it's a it's a marathon weekend, but there's no place that I would rather be. So, so excited for, for that next week and to get everything underway and to see who these new guys are who are going to join a really phenomenal locker room because whoever it is, 
that gets drafted to this team, you're landing in a good spot. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. Well, appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll take care. You guys too. Yeah.